0: Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740.
1: Hi, and welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Uh, before we get started, I want to welcome two new affiliates to the Conspiracy Show Network. K-F-E-Q-A-M in St. Joseph, Missouri. Or Loose as,
0: lips sink ships.
1: Or as my uh, Uncle North used to say, Missouri. K-F-E-Q-A-M, St. Joseph, Missouri, and W-F-E-B-A-M in Birmingham, Alabama. Great to have you aboard, and uh, thanks for making The Conspiracy Show part of your programming schedule. And uh, once again, thanks to Chris Whitting and his team at Syndication Networks in Chicago for all their hard work and perseverance. Uh, It's not easy, I have to tell you, not easy placing a program like this uh, on the air. Uh, so a lot of hard work involved. And, of course, th- thanks uh, to uh, Moses Neimer here at our flagship station, AM740 Zuma Radio in Toronto, for your continued support. So much going on and uh, so little time to share. I've, I've said this a number of times. I need at least a four-hour show, but it is what it is. Uh, someone sent me this story from a website, although it's circulating on a number of sites, but um, the, the link was sent to me. Uh, The website is unveilingsharia.com. Now, this particular story has nothing to do with radical Islam, uh, but it has to do with uh, a spate of of deaths within a 24-hour period. Three mainstream American network journalists, all dead within a 24-hour period uh, earlier in the week. Ned Colt, Ned Colt of NBC, apparently dropped dead of a stroke he was supposedly kidnapped during the Iraq war for several days and then freed. Now, the uh, the supposedly, uh, those are uh, in quotes, they're not my quotes. Uh, Bob Simon, of course, you probably heard about this, of CBS, formerly of, of 60 Minutes, died in a car crash also last week or earlier in the week. And he was, again, in quotes, supposedly kidnapped and held captive for 40 days in an Iraq jail. David Carr of the New York Times... Also died in that 24-hour period, after interviewing Edward Snowden and had just come out against Brian Williams, from NBC while on CBS. Now, again, I'm not making any connections there. Anyway, uh, he was calling for Williams or calling Williams out for lying about being shot down in the Iraq War. So the the common denominator here seems to be Iraq, Iraq, Iraq. Bob Hager, uh, the NBC aviation expert. Recently had a head-on crash. Now, he has survived that, but it was a close call. And then, of course, Brian Williams, off the air for at least six months for lying about the Iraq war. Three journalists dead, one seriously injured, all within a 24-hour period, and uh, all taking place inside the United States. Did they know something we don't know? The article goes on to say, "Is there a current campaign to silence the truth? Someone's connecting some dots. Apparently, a coincidence? Well, hard to say. Uh, I will, you know, things are never as they appear. However, I'll um, I'll dig a little deeper into that story. But I, it is interesting that you had three mainstream, uh, well, two of them with uh, network news organizations on television, NBC, CBS, and another with the New York Times, all dying within that 24-hour uh, period." Award-winning writer, editor, and broadcaster Stephen Kimber is standing by uh, to share a remarkable story, one you may not even be aware of. It's kind of a forgotten chapter in history. It's the real story of the Cuban Five, and he'll join me in just a few moments. I want to remind you that tickets are now available for my Follow the Truth 2 conference happening uh, in the evening on Sunday, April the 26th at the Region Theater in Oshawa. Check out the complete list of speakers and the agenda at the website, www.followthetruth.tv. Followthetruth.tv. And we've just added Dr. John Hall, noted medical expert on electronic harassment and mind control. He's going to be flying in from his home in San Antonio. And uh, he's got a brand new book out. I'll see if you can see this uh, on the HOA. I'll tell you a bit about that in a second. But uh, it's called Guinea Pig's. Technologies of Control, Dr. John Hall. In fact, he'll be here on this program to talk about uh, that. And again, his upcoming appearance at my conference, Follow the Truth uh, 2, April 26. Rosemary Ellen Guiley uh, will be there as well at the conference, live on stage conducting a, a paranormal experiment, which should be fun inside the Historic Region Theater with her spirit box. Uh, in fact, Rosemary will be the subject of my Follow the Truth trivia question at the bottom of the hour where you can win a pair of tickets to the conference. And again, if you haven't ordered your tickets, do so this coming week. Our last conference in November was an overwhelming success, and this one is going to be very special. I'm very excited about it. Uh, The box office is 905-721-3399. 905-721-3399. And uh, once again, we're conducting another Hangout on Air. You can live stream the program on YouTube. And watch and listen to the show. It's very easy to do so. Just go to my Twitter page, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett. Click on the, it's either the first or the second tweet in the feed, very near the top. Just click on the HOA live stream, Feb 15th link, and you're in. And, of course, while you're on my Twitter page, say hi and uh, follow, please. That's at Richard Serrett. And if you want to tweet the conspiracy show, we've set up a hashtag for tonight. Very simple. It's hashtag T-C-S, as in The Conspiracy Show. Hashtag T-C-S. And if you're watching and listening on the Hangout, we'd love to hear from you. Email us here at TheConspiracyShow1, Show one one at gmail.com. All right, for the next 40 minutes or so, we're going to talk about terrorists who blow up airplanes and try to overthrow governments and intelligence agents who try to stop them. Uh, The twist is that these terrorists are not radical Muslims, they're Cuban exiles and the men trying to stop them are Cuban intelligence agents. The Cuban Five were dispatched to Florida in the early 1990s to infiltrate militant anti-Castro exile groups hatching terrorist attacks against their country. In 1998, the Cubans had passed on to the U.S. government information their agents had uncovered about a plot to blow up an airplane filled with Cuban beach-bound tourists. The FBI arrested, not the terrorists plotting the attack, but get this, they arrested the agents trying to stop it. It all sounds like fiction, but it's true. And this remarkable and tragic chapter in American history is wonderfully documented in What Lies Across the Water, the real story of the Cuban Five, Stephen Kimber is an award winning writer, editor, broadcaster, and teaches journalism at the University of King's College in Halifax, Canada. Stephen, welcome to the Conspiracy Show. How are you? I'm
2: very well, thank you. Thank you for having me, Richard.
1: Well, interesting times uh, regarding uh, Cuba, of course. Uh, you know, a, a great easing of tension now uh, between the, the two countries. Um, first of all, let's dial it back uh, to uh, the early 90s and and let's step inside uh, sort of the the Cuban exile community uh, living primarily in the Miami area. This is the the area that's being infiltrated by these Cuban intelligence groups. So what is happening uh, in the early 90s uh, with these exile groups in Florida?
2: Well, essentially, the early 90s, Right after the fall of the Soviet Union, um, the exile groups in Miami that had long been uh, hoping for Fidel Castro to be overthrown, to die, whatever, uh, thought that this was their moment—that uh, they had uh, exactly what they wanted about to happen—and you know, in a certain sense, if you look at it, it seemed to make sense. Uh, first of all, the the uh, Cubans had lost their Soviet support, and if you look across the 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 Atlantic at Europe, where the old Soviet Empire fell apart, and you know the Czechs and the Slovaks and you know it was the end of uh, that kind of empire and the Miami exiles expected that that would happen very quickly. It did not happen. Uh, the Cubans went through a very difficult economic time uh, what you had was um, what they called Fidel Castro called the special period in time of peace, which meant that uh, people were were literally starving in the early 1990s because the, the the economy was in such bad shape. Fidel Castro turned to tourism reluctantly, but he turned to tourism as a way out of this crisis for Cuba. And it began to work. People like us in Canada began to visit uh, Italians, the Spaniards, the Germans. Uh, there were tourist resorts built. And this upset to no end the exile community in Miami. Uh, and they began plotting uh, attacks on Cuba that were intended to uh, create a situation where people would be frightened uh, to come to Cuba, that the tourism industry would collapse, and that therefore Fidel Castro would be forced out of power. That was the the goal of all of this. In 1992, uh, one of the the very well-known groups in uh, the United States, Cuban exile lobby groups, the Cuban American National Foundation, which has uh, had links uh, with American presidents going back to Ronald Reagan, all through Clinton, sure, uh, right this, up and, and, and up you, you have to court these groups, if you
1: want to, you have to court these groups if you want to carry Florida in the presidential election.
2: Absolutely, and and presidents had had done that over periods of time. So it was there was no question that uh, the. Uh, Cuban exile community was very powerful in terms of Washington, in terms of policy, and uh, their expectation was that they they could uh, get what they wanted very quickly. What did not happen, in 1992, the Cuban American National Foundation, at a meeting in Naples, Florida, set up uh, a paramilitary. Now, this is a lobby group, a really well-known high-powered, high-profile lobby group, and they set up Uh, What amounted to a little paramilitary uh, with helicopters and and gunships and and all sorts of other accoutrements of of a military, uh, you know, a a small military, to attack uh, Cuba. Uh, There were attacks on Cuban hotels in 1997. There were more than a dozen hotels in Havana that were bombed. Uh there was a at least uh, there was one person killed a uh, uh, uh Italian Canadian tourist who was uh, uh visiting uh Cuba and trying to do business there uh, was killed in
1: one of those explosions In Varadero so, wasn't it? Pardon me Was that in Veradero? Uh
2: it, it, no it was in Havana ah. it was a uh, Uh, A guy by the name of of, uh,
1: DiCelmo, Fabio DiCelmo. Okay, let me me just uh, step in here, Stephen. We've got a break coming up. We'll come back and uh, continue to discuss the Cuban Five. They were fighting terrorism, so why did the U.S. government put them in jail? Back with more of The Conspiracy Show right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back. Stephen Kimber is a journalism professor at the University of King's College in Halifax. He's an award-winning writer, editor, broadcaster, and the author of What Lies Across the Water, The Real Story of the Cuban Five. And uh, sort of making us confront our prejudices about, uh, you know, who's wearing the white hats and the black hats when we think about uh, American relations with Cuba, for example. Who are the terrorists and uh, who are the... The freedom fighters, who are the, uh, as I say, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys. Now, um, you were telling us about uh, the, the uh, activities of people like Rodolfo Frometa, uh, who was a leader of one of these exile groups in Cuba. And, uh, I mean, these, these were well-armed individuals. I mean, we're not talking about, uh, you know, uh, uh, potato guns here. They were, they were trying to, uh, to get their hands on things like Stinger missiles, Correct
2: they were in fact uh, for meta uh, it, it was uh, caught in a sting operation by the FBI uh trying to buy uh, uh one of the uh, stinger missiles now that was one of the rare instances where um one of the exile groups was actually charged in the United States what 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 tended to happen was that the american uh, law enforcement officials either look the other way and just sort of let them go ahead and, and do what they did uh or they uh would occasionally uh, you know arrest somebody uh, just to just to let them know that they were out there and that they shouldn't be quite so obvious with with what they were doing but basically they'd let them get away with with things and you know the American law enforcement knew much of what was going on in terms of, of these attacks on Cuba. But, of course, American policy was to, uh, you know, c- c- create regime change in Cuba. So, therefore, uh, you know, even though it was their policy not to uh, participate in attacks directly, they certainly didn't, didn't try to stop them, uh, which, which uh,
1: they should have because these
2: uh, attacks on Cuba were, in fact, illegal under American law, under the U.S. Neutrality Act.
1: And they were targeting citizens, were they not?
2: They were absolutely. They were charging, targeting individuals. That's what made this terrorism, as opposed to uh, going to, you know, uh, take your army in and 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 uh, fight the Castro army or whatever. It wasn't that. It was attacks against individual citizens, both Cubans and and uh, international citizens. Uh, so you know it was it was really what we would classify as terrorism, and that you know that became one of the ironies when they were caught and sentenced right around the time of nine eleven. That you know if you'd been able to flip this, and and if in uh, the case of the United States they had had agents inside Al Qaeda uh, in Afghanistan, and th- those agents were able to report back on the plot to to uh, attack the United States. And if that had happened, and the Americans had turned around and, and confided in the Afghans uh, what they'd learned, and the Afghans turned around and arrested uh, again not the the people who were plotting the attacks, but the American agents who'd uh, uncovered it, we would never have heard the end of it. And that is, that right. that is the Cuban view of what happened. Uh, in in the case of the Cuban Five,
1: right? I mean, I'm 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 no fan of Castro, but simply because he's an avowed communist doesn't give uh, another country you know the right to unleash terror against that country. The hypocrisy is just uh, you know it's it's crushing. Really, uh,
2: it, it it is the hypocrisy. I think that's the 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 uh, most damning part of all of this. Uh, you know the the the, the Cuban Five. Had infiltrated a number of different groups that were plotting these attacks.
1: Right. We should talk and, about uh, this group. They, they're they're known as the La Red Avispa.
2: What does that La, mean? The, the the wasp network, and they okay. were a group actually of probably about two dozen agents uh, who'd been sent over from Cuba to do uh, essentially the same job, which was to infiltrate these these various groups. They were essentially In,
1: spies, correct? Cuban spies. They were Cuban spies.
2: They were Cuban spies. They, 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 a lot of people don't like the term spies. They were. They, they prefer the term intelligence agents. But essentially, uh, in our c- common understanding, spies. Yes, that, that that would cover it fairly well. But they were. You know, they were uh, sent with a specific mission, and that mission was to infiltrate these groups, report back, and then the Cubans would attempt to uh, find ways to stop them. So. Uh, there, there were a number of people who were arrested coming into Cuba with uh, bomb-making equipment and that sort of stuff. Uh, they were, you know, the C- Cuban state security was able to, to take the information that the intelligence agents provided, and whether it was to arrest the, the individuals or to de- destabilize a plot, uh, they were successful in some instances, not successful in others. But, you know, and that's... the, 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 the bombing campaign uh, in Havana in 1997, and then early in 1998, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, the intelligence agents turned up this plot uh, to blow up an airplane, and um, Fidel Castro realized that he could not, on his own, stop this particular plot, so uh, he enlisted the aid of his good friend, uh, the Nobel Prize winning uh, novelist Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Uh, who happened to be in Havana at a time, to carry a secret message to the United States because he was going to Princeton University to to do a workshop and asked him to divert to Washington and meet with Bill Clinton and take this message about the
1: plot to Bill Clinton. Because Castro couldn't just pick up, there wasn't, you know, this red telephone like there was, you know, during the JFK-Khrushchev era. He couldn't just pick up the red phone and say, Hey, Bill... You know, we've got this plot we want to tell you about. So, no, had... in fact,
2: it, you know it, what what it, it turns out is when when um, in December, when the Cuban Five were actually released and 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 this reset of Cuban American relations began, uh, Obama and Castro Raúl Castro had a conversation on the phone, and I, I believe it was the first in in forty nine years that where the president had actually talked. Uh, to uh, his opposite number uh, in the other country, right? So, yeah, there, there was no, there was no direct communication. This was a way of of sending that message. And what we do know about that message and and, and what happened was that um, the Clinton White House took uh, the the uh, message from the Cubans seriously. They took the the, what the Cubans said as, as something to, to be investigated. In fact, uh, the Federal Aviation Administration in the United States issued a warning to airlines about the possibility of somebody trying to blow up a plane. So they, 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 they believed it to that extent.
1: And this wasn't a military aircraft. This was filled with potentially tourists from Europe or maybe Latin America.
2: Could have Citizens. been hundreds of tourists. Right. Uh, going to you know to 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 Cuba for a couple of weeks on the on the beach, Pe- exactly what what you know is probably happening every night uh, this month and the next couple of months uh, from Toronto, from Halifax, from London, from uh, British Columbia. You know, planes going to Cuba carrying hundreds of tourists. One of those planes would have been uh, blown up. That was the that was the plan, uh, and. You know, the 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 Americans, despite the 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 you know bad relations with Cuba, did seem to take this very seriously. And and there was something that happened in June of 1998 that was unprecedented, which was that uh, a group of FBI agents from Washington and Miami flew to Havana and they'd never had that kind of meeting with their counterparts in cuban state security before but they spent three days in havana and they met with cuban state security at at uh... what they call a workhouse uh... on the edge of town and the cubans gave them all kinds of information the you know bomb fragments from the the bombing campaigns that had gone on to to date um, wiretap evidence uh... that they had gathered the, the Cubans are very good at uh, knowing who was where and what they were up to. In fact, uh, in one of the documents I saw that the Cubans turned over to the FBI, uh, w- one of the key uh, plotters uh, that Cuba, the, the, the Cubans identified was a guy by the name of Luis Posada Carriles, and he's infamous in this world. Uh, he was involved uh, prior to this in... Uh, The 1976 uh, attack on Cubana Airlines Flight uh, 455, which, which in fact, uh, killed 76 people, and he, they, they knew so much about him that they knew uh, where his mistress was, and just as you know, and gave the Americans information about uh, that so that they could track him down if you, they, if they and, were looking for him.
1: As you point out, though, I mean, uh, uh, Carillas uh, was brazen about this. I mean, he bragged about his involvement in the Havana bombings in The New York Times.
2: That's right. He, he told The New York Times, uh, I sleep like a baby, when somebody suggested to him, you know, what about this uh, Italian-Canadian who was killed? He said, you know, he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. I sleep like a baby. And he, he not only confessed to his involvement, but he confessed that he was financed in large part by uh, Cuban American National Foundation. So you know, he linked uh, what he was doing back to the Cuban American National Foundation, and I think that was a... You know, a, a, a significant confession on his
1: part. Sure. Let me just remind uh, uh, listeners: Stephen Kimber is uh, with us, uh, the author of "What Lies Across the Water: The Real Story of the Cuban uh, Five. Now, the the um, the uh, this Cuban intelligence network inside Cuba. Now, the, there, were there more than five? Or there were? I counted
2: up to about two dozen, and uh, you know, there, there were. Uh, the way it worked was that they they reported there were agents uh who sort of they were all independent of one another we talk about it as a network but in fact it wasn't much of a, it wasn't so much a network as the, the the fact is that they all uh communicated with a couple of what they call illegal agents these are agents who uh sneak into the country and operate under uh, uh, false identities, whereas most of the agents uh, who were there were in fact uh, people who, who um, you know, they, they'd been Cuban-Americans or they, they pretended to uh, steal a plane or, or come as a rafter. Uh, they had all sorts of cover stories that got them into the United States and then they got regular jobs, uh, and they didn't appear to be any different than any other Cuban exile, but in fact they were reporting back to uh, Havana on, on what, they, what they discovered. So there were about, there were about two dozen. Um, some had gone back to Cuba by the time uh, that the arrests were made. Uh, others, there, there were ten of them arrested altogether. In, this is in September of 1998, and five of them... Uh, very quickly, uh, turned essentially turned states evidence, uh, cop to plea, <clears throat> and were uh, therefore uh, uh, you know out of out of the mix. The five were the ones who who stood up and said, "Yes, we did this, and we did it." You know, and and their defense, in a sense, became necessity.
1: All right, we should just uh, we should just because explain because the
2: Americans would not stop these plots. The Cubans had no uh, alternative but to stop them on their own, and and therefore there was a justification defense for uh, their uh, their work in the United States. Now, these five sorry, these five agents uh, courts in Miami, but uh, that was the defense.
1: So, uh, these five agents uh, that were arrested uh, in Florida. What were the circumstances? How, did, how were they found out? The, the, and again, these are the agents that are providing the intel that foiled uh, these, uh, some of these terrorist plots, uh, prim- primarily this, uh, this 1998 uh, plot to bomb a, a Cuban airliner. So how yeah. were they caught?
2: Now, no, they were caught um, – it, it gets complicated here. After the meeting with the FBI in June of 1998, the FBI went away and said, we're going to investigate and we will get back to you. And even to this day, the Cubans that I've talked to who are involved in state security say they believe that those American agents were serious and sincere about what they, what they said they were going to do. But somewhere between June and September, things changed and uh they came and arrested these guys and they were it wasn't that the fbi didn't know about them in fact the fbi had known about them for at least two years uh they'd been following them and and nobody is quite sure how they got onto them in the first place uh but they had been following them and i'm guessing that what happened is they find one And they'd follow him to a rendezvous with another. And once they sort of identified who was the key player in all this, and that was a guy named Gerardo Hernandez, uh, they were able to sort of identify who the other uh, players were.
1: Okay, we've got that music uh, coming up here again, uh, Stephen, so we'll take another time out. We'll come back and uh, continue to discuss the Cuban Five. They were fighting terrorism, but instead of arresting the terrorists, they put the Cuban Five in jail where they languished for many, many years. Back with more of my conversation with Stephen when we come back here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And we'll get back to our conversation with Stephen Kimber, author of What Lies Across the Water, the real story of the Cuban Five, here in just a moment. Uh, It's time for our trivia question for Follow the Truth, your chance to win a pair of tickets Uh, to my conference, Follow the Truth 2, happening Sunday, April the 26th at the Region Theatre. Now, one of our speakers is Rosemary Ellen Guiley, our paranormal investigator who joins us on this program uh, once a month. And uh, she'll be flying in with uh, her spirit boxes to perform a little paranormal experiment live on stage at the Historic Region Theatre. Now, here's the question. I'll take the seventh correct caller who can answer this question. The phone lines are open now at 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740, toll free, 1-866-740-4740, 866-740-4740. Rosemary Ellen Guiley co-wrote a book with George Norrie, the host of Coast to Coast AM. What is the title of that book? Co-re- co-authored by Rosemary Ellen Guiley and George Norrie. We'll take the seventh caller, Tim Spreen, standing by. We'll take the seventh correct caller, and uh, the correct answer will get you a pair of ducats to follow the truth to, happening April 26th at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. All right, back to Stephen Kimber, award-winning writer, editor, broadcaster, a journalism professor at the University of King's College in Halifax, and um, first of all, the uh, yeah. Let's get back to the uh, the um, the arrests. Now they tracked them down, and we should we should also point out that these five are are known sort of affectionately uh, in Cuba by their first names. I mean, there are there are pictures of them all over the island. Uh, Stephen, uh, what are their first names? Uh,
2: well, there, there, there's Gerardo. Gerardo is the, the leader of the group. He was the the key illegal intelligence agent. Uh, There were two agents, uh, operating agents. One was a guy by the name of Rene Gonzalez, and the other was uh, Antonio Guerrero. And then there were two other illegal agents, um, uh, Ramon Labanino and uh, Fernando Gonzalez. So they, they, and and as you say, if you go to Cuba, if you were to go to Cuba and uh, go to a school, um, talked to little kids, they could, you know, they were Los Cinco. They were uh, these people that they knew as heroes, as national heroes. And you can understand why. I mean, forget the the communist uh, issue for the moment. Uh, these are guys who, who prevented terrorist attacks against their country, and they paid a horrible price for it. So, you know, you can understand why they would have been heroes.
1: Right, and, and they saved the lives not necessarily just of Cubans. Again, these could have been... European tourists, uh, tourists from from Central America, perhaps even who knows, someone from Canada.
2: Oh, absolutely. So yes, uh, they were you know protecting uh, us uh, as uh, as well as, as as Cubans themselves. No question about that.
1: Now, were any of the Cuban Five uh, uh, sort of embedded in a in a, undercover in a military base?
2: One of them was, and and this became part of the issue uh, in the American courts. They were um, Some of them were charged with conspiracy to commit espionage. When, when, because of the fact that they didn't, in fact, commit espionage, it was conspiracy to commit, uh, which is a catch-all and, and makes it easier to prove. If you, at some point in your life, uh, said, maybe this might be something I would do, Uh, then that is enough uh, to justify a conspiracy charge. And so they were charged with conspiracy uh, to commit espionage. One of them, Antonio Guerrero, uh, he worked on uh, a military base, Boca Chica uh, Naval Station uh, in Florida. Um, He was a janitor. He got the job because uh, he went to an employment office, and the employment officer felt sorry for him, and sent him uh to first of all dig ditches on the on the military base. He rose to be a janitor. he certainly didn't have access to military secrets. The reasons that the Cubans wanted um, their agents in the military uh, bases was defensive um the, if you if you look at the example in the nineteen eighties and nineties, you had Haiti, Panama, Grenada, where yeah, the, uh, the Americans had invaded uh, for a variety of reasons. The Cubans certainly felt vulnerable and thought that they could be uh, subject to that kind of invasion. So that, that having uh, people on these bases, even in a non uh, secure kind of Role allowed them to get the kind of information that they needed. For example, they had come up with a, a, a checklist of things to watch for. Uh, and while they were sort of watching for these things, these were signs that there might be an invasion. So suddenly uh, a lot of brass uh, hats come down to Florida from um, the northern bases or a bunch of jets show up uh, where, they, where they hadn't been before uh, There's high security alerts. Those were the kind of signs that there could be an invasion uh, imminent. And so he could, uh, Antonio uh, could see that kind of information from his job. He could have seen it from the highway. Uh, you know, you would see these planes or whatever. So it, wasn't a, it was a military mission. But it wasn't the kind of military mission that we think of when you're stealing national secrets or anything like that. So, so they weren't doing that, for sure.
1: All right. When we come back, we'll, we'll talk about uh, one claim that one of the Cuban five, Gerardo, may have been involved in a conspiracy uh, with the shoot-down three years earlier of two brothers to the rescue airlift. This is another anti-Castro group that had been rescuing rafters. Uh, Of those people fleeing Castro's Cuba in the Straits of Florida Uh, we'll find out whether there's any validity to that charge and we'll also find out what happened to the Cuban Five, where are they, are they still languishing in prison back with more of my conversation with Stephen Kimber, author of What Lies Across the Water, the real story of the Cuban Five right here on The Conspiracy Show, Don't Go Away Hey, congratulations to Tony Morsey of Toronto, who won a pair of tickets to Follow the Truth 2, April 26th at the Regent Theatre in Oshawa. And uh, he did so by being the seventh correct caller and answering our Follow the Truth trivia question for this week, which was the name of the book co-authored by one of our speakers at the conference, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, a regular on the program. Uh, a book she co-authored with Coast to Coast AM's George Norrie and... The name of that book is Talking to the Dead, and she'll be uh, attempting a spirit communication experiment when she joins us at uh, the Regent Theatre. Again, followthetruth.tv. All of the uh, the speaker bios, all of the details for the conference uh, are all right there. Followthetruth.tv. All right, uh, back with Stephen Kimber, uh, award-winning writer, editor, broadcaster, and uh, professor of journalism at University of King's College in Halifax. We're talking about... Uh, the Cuban Five. Now, one of the uh, the five of this Cuban intelligence uh, group, Gerardo, uh, was somehow connected, allegedly, uh, to the shooting down of an anti-Castro uh, 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 plane or uh, uh, a group called Brothers to the Rescue. This was a plane uh, and the, the uh, bro- Brothers to the Rescue aircraft was supposedly trying to uh, pick up rafters that were fleeing Cuba in the Straits of Florida um, any validity to that charge, that Gerardo may have been involved in the shooting down of that plane?
2: The uh, reality was that they had infiltrated Brothers to the Rescue. Brothers to the Rescue was, as you say, a humanitarian organization at one level, and it was actively involved in, in uh, helping rafters who were trying to escape from Cuba. Uh, But as a result of an agreement between Cuba and the United States in 1994, they really didn't have any rafters to rescue anymore. In fact, the the last 1,800 missions they flew, uh, they didn't uh, find one rafter to to rescue. Uh, Instead, they became agents provocateurs, and they would fly their planes into Cuban airspace, dropping leaflets um, uh, and other things on uh, the, the, the city. Uh, the Cubans protested. The Americans tried to stop this group from doing that. They didn't have much luck. Uh, you know, they, they threatened to suspend their their pilot's licenses, uh, but that didn't have anything to do. So the Cubans had been threatening over a period of about seven months, if you don't stop these guys, we will. And they did, in the end, blow them out of the water, and, and a number of, of people were killed. And you can certainly make the case that the Cubans should not have done that. I mean, there's a, there, there are arguments that say that they they had a right to, given that these uh, guys were were violating their airspace, and and the, and because of the work of the Cuban Five, they knew that this same group had been test firing uh, missiles from some of those planes. So it wasn't um, it wasn't a stretch to think that they might have been doing something more than just dropping leaflets. But having said that. I went through the evidence. Uh, There were more than 20,000 pages of trial transcript. Uh, There were boxes of evidence presented, and I looked very carefully at this particular allegation because it is clearly the most serious, and I was not able to find any compelling evidence to suggest that Gerardo Hernandez was involved. The reality is that the exile community in Miami wanted somebody to pay the price for this shootdown. They were not in a position to indict Fidel Castro, who who is the person they most wanted to to uh, blame for this and hold accountable for it. Gerardo Hernandez was convenient, uh, and so the, that was the. I think that was the reason he was charged. He wasn't charged till seven months after the others. The other charges were laid against these people. And the and the, the most interesting thing is at the end of the trial, after. Uh, the prosecution had presented its evidence. Defense had presented its. The the uh, judge instructed the jury, and the prosecutors rushed off to the courthouse and said that based on the 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 judge's instructions to the jury, they didn't believe that they had in fact uh, presented uh, the evidence that would uh, convict, and they, and they, they so the, they 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 believed. That they hadn't produced the compelling evidence in this case, the, the 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 appeal court simply said, let the jury decide. The reality was a jury in Miami um, is not going to decide in favor of uh, five uh, Cuban government employees. There's they actually no held way. the
1: trial in Miami. I mean, what kind of a defense attorney would hold the trial in the, you know, in the uh, the heart of the the Cuban exile community? That, well, it's that, ridiculous.
2: The, 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 uh, defense lawyers tried on numerous occasions to have uh, a change of venue because of the fact that this was a, you know, just a, the wrong place to, to hold this kind of trial, and they got turned down. So uh, it did not – at the end of the trial um, – it didn't take the jury long at all to decide that these guys were guilty of every charge against them. Uh, they were convicted and sentenced to incredibly long uh, prison terms. Uh, Gerardo Hernandez, for example, uh, was given a double life plus 15-year sentence. Uh, two of the others were given life sentences that were later uh, commuted to, to slightly lesser uh, sentences. So, you know, these were were – Pretty powerful sentences that were handed out to these guys. Did you ever? Did you ever meet with? Back in two thousand, actually, after the trial,
1: right, just over fifteen years ago. Uh, Did you ever meet with or speak with any of the of the Cuban Five?
2: I have not uh, to this point. uh, In the United States, it was impossible for me to get in to see any of them in prison. And, And Gerardo, for example, was in a maximum security prison. Uh, In California, he wasn't allowed even to um, use the prison email system, which, you know, murderers and others had had, uh, been able to do. Uh, So our correspondence was all by uh, the old snail mail, and his letters were all handwritten to me. And we had dozens of letters back and forth as I tried to sort of ask them questions and get more
1: information and and uh, so it was mainly Gerardo that you you corresponded with
2: I corresponded with all oh, you of did. them primarily Gerardo and Rene Gonzalez who was um uh, the, he he had uh, stolen a plane uh, technically, in uh, 1990, and defected to the United States, and of course he was always a uh, uh, Cuban intelligence agent, so he was in fact uh, a doing agent. that undercover work. Right. He and I had had a long correspondence. He was the first one to get out uh, about two years ago and 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 get back to uh, Havana, but but it, but he got out because he had served his entire
1: sentence um, of 13 years. Yep. And he was one. That was one of the lesser uh, sentences. Uh, That's right. Fifteen years was the the least of the sentences. When when you were corresponding with them, what was their mood like? Were they completely befuddled as to why, instead of being hailed as heroes and saving lives, they were arrested and thrown in jail?
2: I don't think they were befuddled. I think that uh, they were. um, They're very interesting. Characters because they don't—they didn't hold a grudge about against the American people. They didn't seem to. Um, they in prison. They were model prisoners. One who barely spoke English when he got into prison uh, became a teacher of uh, other inmates, uh, trying to get them to to uh, learn English so that they could pass their GEDs. Uh, they were and they you know they, they decided when they got into prison that they were going to make use of the time there uh, uh Rene Gonzalez for example uh ran uh, uh half marathons in prison um Antonio became a poet and a and a painter uh Gerardo ran uh in many ways the he was the most active person in terms of his own defense, uh, you know, and the solidarity. What had happened over the years is that a kind of a solidarity movement grew up around uh, these guys. It was international. It wasn't that big in the United States, but it certainly was big in, in uh, Italy and Spain and Germany and, and England, um, where there were groups formed to try and, and, and uh, convince the Americans uh, that these guys had been unjustly in prison.
1: Were there no uh, discussions about prisoner exchanges? I, I'm sure that there must be uh, U.S. intelligence agents languishing somewhere in a Cuban uh, prison. Were there no well, discussions th- of that? The,
2: the, the, there was a, uh, the, the, a man named Alan Gross, who was an American uh, U.S. aid subcontractor, who was arrested in Cuba in 2009. And he was. Um, bringing in sort of sophisticated telecommunications equipment. He was sentenced to 15 years in prison. And the Cubans had said uh, pretty much from the get-go that they would be willing to have a humanitarian exchange. Uh, of They would send him back in exchange for the the Cuban five. Um, and by the end of the the, the the whole saga, there were only three of the five left. Uh, the, the first one, Rene had mentioned, uh, got out, and, and last February, Fernando had ended up serving his whole sins. For most of the time, the Americans had said... No way. There's no equivalence between this guy, Alan Gross, who was a humanitarian do-gooder, which was not quite true, but but that was the argument that he was was somebody who uh, was not an intelligence agent or a spy like these other guys, and therefore there couldn't be any equivalence. But what we didn't know was that beginning in June of 2013, the Americans had approached the Cubans uh, from the highest levels uh, about a discussion about an exchange and that went on for eighteen months uh... and then in uh... december just just about a, a month and a half ago um, out of the blue there was an announcement that uh... yes uh, there was going to be a prisoner exchange uh... the three remaining members of the cuban five went home to cuba alan gross uh, came home to the united states and there was Another intelligence agent that nobody had heard of before, an American intelligence agent, or I shouldn't say that, he was a Cuban uh, who had given the Americans information back in the mid-1990s and had been arrested and served 20 years in prison in Cuba. Uh, And the Americans used that. They got him out. I don't think they particularly cared about him, but they got him out and they were able to, to to use that to say that they hadn't traded for Alan Gross, that Alan Gross was just a humanitarian gesture that the Cubans had made. Right. Uh, It ultimately doesn't matter. Uh, They're all now home. Uh, Gerardo Hernandez had been denied uh, access to uh, even see his wife for most of that time, and they'd been hoping to have children. Thanks to the – and this becomes a complicated story, but thanks to the intervention of the Pope during the secret negotiations – he was allowed to provide uh, his sperm through artificial insemination. And shortly after he returned to Cuba, uh, they had their baby girl.
1: Remarkable. we're uh, just, t- just about out of time here, Stephen. But w- what has the reaction been uh, to your book in, for example, the exile community in, in Florida?
2: Uh, I would say that that probably in the exile community in Florida, it's not at the top of the bestseller list. <laughs> um But, you know, I think that there's there's even a a big change in Florida now. And and people, a lot of people in Florida who are not part of the very old guard uh, now see that, you know, it makes sense. Even if what you want is to to have regime change, it makes sense to have relations with Cuba and not uh, to see them as as, uh, somebody that you want to
1: defeat. No, I mean what what in has the, been accomplished?
2: Conventional kind of way?
1: What has been accomplished in the last fifty years, fifty plus years, fifty five years? Nothing.
2: Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And and um, you know if Cuba is going to change, it's probably going to change on its own, uh, and it is changing actually now. Uh, and so I, I don't I don't think that the the embargo has done any good, uh, and the posturing hasn't done any good. So it's certainly time to try something new and different.
1: Well, uh, congratulations on uh, What Lies Across the Water, The Real Story of the Cuban Five. This is a chapter most people are not familiar with, and uh, I applaud you for bringing it to all of our attention. Thanks so much, Stephen.
2: Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Take care.
1: My pleasure. Bye-bye now. Stephen Kimber, award-winning writer, editor, and broadcaster, and uh, the author of What Lies Across the Water, The Real Story of the Cuban Five. Hey, we will... uh, direct you now to the website richardserat.com your portal to the conspiracy show check it out past show archives if you're not a member register it's easy to do and of course uh, say hello on twitter at richardserat and just a friendly reminder always follow the truth there we go push the red button (laughs) hey thanks for inviting me into your home it's about minus 31. Maybe it froze. Maybe that's the problem. The button froze. <laughs> we are broadcasting to you live from the Liberty Village neighborhood of Toronto and blasting your way out of the Great White North from our flagship station, AM740 Zuma Radio. And uh, now available in the United States in about 32 markets and growing. And we just added two more affiliates this week. KFEQAM St. Joseph, Missouri. KFEQ AM. St. Joseph, Missouri, and WFEB-AM in Birmingham, Alabama. WFEB-AM, Birmingham, Alabama. Thanks to both of those stations for uh, adding the Conspiracy Show to their schedule. We're very honored to be aboard. Once again, we're doing an HOA, a hangout on air. Uh, For all of you techno peasants like myself, (laughs) I just recently learned about HOAs. Thanks to, uh, in large part, to our... um, ...capable young intern, Albert, who's in studio monitoring. And if you want to watch the live stream of The Conspiracy Show, it's fast and it's easy. Just go to my Twitter feed, at Richard Serrett, at Richard Serrett, and click on the tweet. It's at or near the top. It says HOA live stream, Feb 15th. And now you're inside the studio, here with me, and you'll also be able to see my guest and, of course, hear the program. Uh, and while you're on my Twitter feed, say hi and be sure to follow. That's at Richard Serrett, and of course you can email me at theconspiracyshow1 at gmail dot com. Speaking of Twitter, we've set up a hashtag for the program tonight. If you want to tweet, it's hashtag T C S hashtag. Now, do they is that case sensitive, Albert? Do they all have to be caps? Uh, not not
2: case. Sensitive.
1: Not it's not case uh, case sensitive. All right, so hashtag T C S, of course. That stands for The Conspiracy Show. And I want to give this story a quick mention before we begin, because speaking of tweets, again, this has gone absolutely viral. Outgoing aide to President Barack Obama, John Podesta, uh, recently tweeted, Finally, my biggest failure of 2014, once again not securing the disclosure of the UFO files. Hashtag disclosure of the UFO files. And uh, the story was picked up by the Washington Post, no less. And Podesta, of course, served in uh, Bill Clinton's White House as an aide uh, and then became part of uh, President Barack Obama-elect's transition team and then became uh, an aide to Obama. And uh, if you're not familiar with John Podesta, huge X-Files fan and uh, extraterrestrial uh, fan and has talked um about you know wanting very much uh, to disclose ufo files he says not only is it important it's the law uh and yet here he is tweeting uh as he prepares to leave the obama white house to join hillary clinton's campaign although that hasn't officially launched yet and she's expected to be the shoe in uh so imagine now Let's face it. Here's what's going to happen, right? It's going to be Clinton versus Bush yet again, this pre-approved slate of candidates. Uh, and if she joins Clinton's campaign and she wins and uh, Podesta becomes a part of her transition team and then becomes an aide, which is usually what happens, do you think Podesta will actually set himself up to fail again and not successfully disclose the UFO files? This is a huge story. And I can tell you, it has caused a tremendous buzz inside the UFO disclosure community. They're looking the, uh, at this one simple tweet from John Podesta as a major victory, a major step forward in the, uh, the disclosure movement. Uh, just a reminder, next week on the program, my good pal, Dr. John Hall, will join us, uh, to, talk us to talk about uh, his new book, uh, and uh, Electronic Harassment and Mind Control. The new book is entitled, Guinea Pigs, Technologies of Control, and uh, a, a great deal of uh, Dr. Hall's uh, practice – he's down in San Antonio uh, – is involved with – I mean, he's primarily a pain management uh, specialist. Uh, but a great deal of his, his, uh, his um, cases now deal with uh, alleged victims of electronic harassment. Uh, and John will be flying up from Texas for my live conference, Follow the Truth 2, happening in the evening of Sunday, April the 26th at the Region Theater – and uh, again, follow the for all the details, all the speakers, their bios, the agenda, uh, and for tickets, again, the box office at the Region Theater, 905 721 3399. 905 721 3399. And again, that's the Region Theater Sunday, April the 26th. Follow the truth 2 Website for details, follow the truth.tv. Uh, I'll tell you what. I am uh, really looking forward to the next 40-plus minutes. Uh, as my old uh, media scientist friend Nelson Thal likes to say, it's after midnight and the owners of the system are asleep. Now we can play. Uh, we are going to talk here with an independent producer on how the occult affects us all. We, we spend a lot of time talking about uh, the occult on this program, uh, and my guest has made hundreds of hours of documentaries on, for example, the Illuminati's use of the dark arts in politics, movies, and music. And uh, you're going to learn what you need to know uh, to keep your family safe from mind control, learn the true meaning of symbols around you, uh, witness high-profile rituals being performed on network television, you know, during the Grammys, for example, and during the, the halftime show at the Super Bowl. We'll get into that. Has Satan removed his disguise? This is where the esoteric meets the political. Freeman Fly is an internationally known award-winning TV producer, filmmaker, radio talk show host and lecturer. Freeman is considered an expert in the fields of the occult, trauma-based mind control. Speaking of Dr. John Hall and others, illuminate Illuminati symbolism and Ancient Civilizations. He graduated with an Associates of Arts with honors in interdisciplinary studies and attended Kansas University specializing in ancient and environmental architecture. He's lectured extensively on the secret signs and symbolism of Freemasonry, the ancient astronaut hypothesis, trauma-based mind control, social engineering, government conspiracy, human cloning, technology of the future, and synchronicity. Freeman Fly, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Wow!
3: <laughs> Fantastic.
1: Great to have you with us, and uh, and thanks for joining us on our hangout on air. Um, Got yeah. let, Let's let's just jump jump right in, and, and I want to ask you about uh, the, uh, the the Super Bowl, the halftime show. Uh, was this an example? And we're speaking of Katy Perry, for example, or, or uh, for instance, you know, riding in on this giant uh, tiger. Were we witnessing a a high profile ritual during the halftime show at the Super Bowl?
3: What I can say is that we predicted what you would actually see. And I don't know of anyone else that had done this, and the odds of it were amazing. And you can actually watch us live as we were broadcasting through a a hangout on air during the Super Bowl and see our reaction and the exact uh, depiction that we are already prepared for because we knew –
1: now, well, when you say you knew, you, you knew what was going to happen, go into that a little bit. Do you mean you, you predicted the actual uh, content of the show that she was going to ride in on this large sort of robotic-looking tiger? Or what did you predict that, exactly?
3: That is correct. Uh, we, we are expected to, to be able to predict these sort of things. And we have been working on a science uh, database and have been consistent so far over 10 years of being able to state what you were going to witness in these high-profile rituals. Uh, it's, been, it's been mind-boggling and you know, mind-blowing if we get into Madonna and talk about her Super Bowl ritual, but we'll get to that. We actually are focused on a magical order known as the Ordo Templi Orientis, and really the magical practices of a an order known as the Typhonian Order, which is an order related to the abyss and the beast. And it, it always goes back to this dark magic. So when we, uh, when we looked to see what we were going to predict, what we, and I say we because my wife Jamie is involved in all of this, and you'll be having her on the show here She's today. with us
1: next week, yes. All
3: right. Um, so we were able to say, okay, look, this is the magic that's being practiced. We're looking inside of the OTO sexual magical rituals, And then we look into their symbolism and what it is that they would want to depict. And when you start to study even, uh, you know, rocket propulsion systems, you are going to end up in the occult. So Jack Parsons uh, of Jet Propulsion Laboratories plays a role in this prediction, as does L. Ron Hubbard and Aleister Crowley. Wow. So as we looked and researched... Their, their uh, concept of the Whore of Babylon, what they call the Whore of Abominations and the Whore of Babylon, this is their lead goddess inside of this magical order. And you will see the scarlet woman represented all the time. You will find her on the Beatles albums. You will find her on the Rolling Stones albums. You will find her depicted in Hollywood and things like Battlestar Galactica. Uh, even uh, the Matrix made note of the woman in the red dress. Isn't There's she little...
1: also—excuse uh, me, Freeman, but isn't sure. she also uh, the sort of uh, riding—she's on a bull, and she that's the symbol of the European Union, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Is that is that the same, the, the Whore of Babylon? That does go back to Inanna
3: and Ishtar, uh, which is related to this goddess uh, when she's stated on a, on a bull or a lion, but— uh, this is
1: not exactly that. Okay. No. All right. So the the, the tiger uh, that that uh, that Katy Perry wrote in on during the halftime show. Yeah, the it
3: have she... been a tiger, right? Because she was singing about the tiger. Sure. But when and you can go listen to our prediction. We read the vision of L. of of Elron uh, Hubbard with Jack Carson, and their vision of the horror Babylon, as they saw her coming in on a cat like beast, holding the reins. And in the vision, she would be holding a grail, and, and the grail would be encompassed in flames. But instead, Katie became the grail, and her costume was the flame, and she was riding astride the beast, holding the reins, exactly as described in the vision of the Whore of Babylon. Now, this is a, a magical reference to an archetypal force that this group focuses on. You know, the, the whole heart of the Lima, of the magical practices of the OTO, go to the scarlet woman. And so you would see that she was actually on a lion. And then we, we added an additional uh, fact to the prediction saying that we would, she would also be represented with diamonds. Because within the trauma-based mind control system, diamonds represent a presidential model mind control slave. So we said that it would be a cat-like beast with diamonds. So we even called it to that specific. And remarkable. it is there on the website for everyone to see.
1: Freeman Fly is uh, with us as we discuss the occult. And uh, we've linked up to Freeman's uh, website. You just uh, go to com and click on uh, Freeman's name there. And it'll take you to Freeman TV, freemantv.com. Uh, and we'll uh, continue to talk about these high-profile rituals, uh, the Super Bowl, uh, the the Grammys, for example, uh, the, uh, the Illuminati's fingerprints in politics and art and music. All of that and much more. Aliens from Hell, time permitting as well, with Freeman Fly right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. And uh, we've also started a hashtag if you want to tweet us. It's uh, hashtag TCS. That's a hashtag T as in the... C as in conspiracy, S as in show. Hashtag TCS. Freeman Fly is with us as we discuss uh, the occult and high-profile rituals. We were uh, talking about Carrie per- uh, Perry's performance at uh, the Super Bowl. Uh, now, the uh, 57th uh, Grammys, uh, I mean, this one was just right in your face, obviously. Madonna uh, and her song Living for Love. She was wearing, of course, devil horns and um, uh, Illuminati uh, Baphomet masks. Uh, I mean, it's pretty overt now, isn't it? What, is that – they're not even trying to hide it. What's the idea, that things are ramping up to the point where they're basically just getting right in our grill with this stuff? What's going on, Freeman?
3: Yes, definitely. Uh, we refer to that as a revelation of the method, and we believe that, yes, they are trying to uh, lay this whole program out for everyone and, and get those involved that want to be involved. Uh, the OTO has even got Google ads on my website now that I'm talking about them so much. Uh, but they started with an infiltration, putting Alistair Crowley books in every uh, every single store out there. You could get these magical works, and it started to fill the lodges with these people that were, were practicing, you know, starting to learn this form of magic Uh To the point then that they started to couple this into the music industry and like Lady Gaga in her Rolling Stone interview said that she had witnessed a a dream, actually, of a Illuminati ritual where she had some girl laid down. She was slicing her wrist and pouring honey on the wounds. And in the Rolling Stone article, her mother states, oh, well, that's an Illuminati ritual. And I'm like, well, how does she know this? And why are they talking about this on Rolling Stone? You know, this is the level that it's come. Of course, Lady Gaga doing blood rituals, sacrifices on a under a, a burning angel on American Idol. You know, prime time television, and we're witnessing blood sacrifices on television. Uh,
1: now, how does this happen to people like, uh, let's say, you know, Katy Perry, who seems, uh, at least on the surface, uh, to be a, a wonderfully talented uh, young woman? Um you know wholesome even uh, i 've seen her on talk shows when she seems very you know uh, proper and 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 seems to have uh you know kind of a positive message. How does this happen to people like her and 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 beyonce and and uh and and, and others are they are they mind controlled
3: Well, as you look into the roots in each of these situations, you will find consistent patterns we 've also outlined uh signs of mind control and would and align them with imagery. You could find just tons of images to associate with the mind control symbolism with each of these celebrities, but you need to look into their past and then who has also raised them and, and look for handlers. And when we look to Katy Perry's case, it's very much like an Aleister Crowley situation where she was a, a very good Christian. Beyonce would say the same thing as well, that her, her whole dedication was to nothing but God. And Katy Perry wanted to be a gospel singer like Amy Grant. But then as all of them openly state, they sell their soul to the devil. Now, they openly admit this. Now, I'm personally not a fundamental Christian, so I'm looking at this without uh, a stated black and white imagery of, you know, selling your soul to the devil and what they mean by this, right? Right. Um, because I look at the occult, this picture becomes much more of a tapestry, and it doesn't simply become black and white. So Katy Perry, once you're – actually, the, the Hunger Games did a really good job of showing this situation to you, that once you're pulled into this game, they they hold you, they, they separate you from your friends and your family. You'll see this with, like, Beyonce and her group uh, – they, they separated her out so that the, the friends couldn't be around there as a nurturing uh, social aspect. They need to separate them. And then they utilize these icons over and over again uh, to institute social engineering campaigns. Katy Perry constantly seen in Barack Obama garb, uh, constantly promoting this. Um, but then what we mostly see out of these icons is the ritual aspects of the tour of Babylon, and, you know, Miley Cyrus did the same thing where she stuck out her tongue. That was actually a representation of Kali, which is also another form of this same scarlet woman. They would say she is Kali. Uh, so, And then Madonna, we saw the same situation. Now, Madonna is an interesting case because she is one that's a willing participant inside of a Kabbalistic practice. She goes off into cemeteries uh, with rabbis and performs these rituals in the, you know, full... She openly admitted that her Super Bowl ritual was a 20 or 33-minute sermon when she came out, and then she displayed what this magical practice considers the mark of the beast over and over again on stage, so many times that you you could barely count them.
1: Now, what happens to um, uh, performers, artists who try to uh, break free? What I'm wondering about is, let's say someone, for example, like a Britney Spears. Uh, i'm wondering if her you know much not celebrated but uh, certainly we you know it was highly scrutinized her breakdown in front of you know uh, millions of people that was scrutinized by the media uh or someone like a Justin Bieber uh are these and we're speculating here obviously but do you surmise that perhaps these are individuals who wanted to break out of this Uh, whether they were controlled by the Ordo Templi Orientis or not. Uh, And and because they tried to break free, they were, I don't know, somehow discredited or uh, made to look bad, because obviously they fell out of favor. Certainly Britney Spears uh, did and and, uh, is starting to come back a little bit now. But what is your take on artists who try to break free? Is it possible? I did did do a deep, in-depth study of
3: Anna Nicole, Britney, and Mind Control, it was my second DVD and, and really put this whole concept out there into the public eye because we could witness these situations as they unfolded live on television. Um, so with the situation of Britney Spears, you again start to research her past and you start to look into her situation, and you find that she's consistent with a, a programmed multiple. She has many personalities. Now this is a common trait that we're seeing in these icons that uh, are consistent. Beyonce has Beyonce, or Sasha Pierce, uh, Nicki Minaj has Roman Zelansky, and and so on. Even Eminem, you know, and his Slim Shady. So, Britney actually had a a number of uh, multiple identities, and one was so satanic that it frightened her bodyguard. He he came out on Montel and was saying how frightened he was by Britney and her satanic practice. Now. What happened with Brittany is uh, when you start to look into these ritual aspects, they use blonde-haired goddesses as their ritual incarnations. The goddesses are used, or they, they, these women are used to incarnate entities, or what they call demons, into the soul, and they prefer the blonde-haired blue-eyed. So when Brittany went into Esther's hair salon, and there's a whole connection to Esther in this magical practice, she shaved her head bald and said that she did not want them touching her anymore. They didn't, she didn't want them using her anymore. And this was a defiance to being this uh, high priestess and the goddess because she had you know, shaved off her bronze, brown, blonde hair. Now, one note was that when she shaved her head, her hair was actually brown. So this was maybe the first defiance to say, okay, I'm not your blonde goddess. And when that maybe didn't pan out, she shaved her head. Now, uh, then she was brought to an institution and uh, I believe it might have been, no, Promises Clinic. She was brought into Crossroads, which has the deal with the devil with uh, Robert Johnson. uh, These institutions seem to be involved in the reprogramming of these people. She checks herself into Promises Clinic and next thing you know, she's running around screaming, she's the Antichrist. She scrolls 666 on her forehead and then attempts to hang herself. Now, Does this seem like a normal situation here?
1: Oh, this is absolutely tragic. It's horrible.
3: And I can go on and on with numerous different celebrities in this type of relationship.
1: Well, what about uh, about, uh, uh, young Justin Bieber, who is just totally self-destructed?
3: Yes, this poor guy. Uh, You know, when we look at his situation, we see that the current uh, programming, we're always looking into what the social engineers are after and, and... when you're looking to this, you're really looking at Satanists, and, and you've got to understand the true properties of what makes a Satanist. It's not just devil worship. It's something, it's a belief system that really is in power. And uh, so pedophilia is, is at the height of the Satanist agenda at this time. And so Justin Bieber has been utilized in this way. Okay, we, have, very, we, wanted, have,
1: to, we have to be careful about this now. This is, these are uh, allegations. Uh, that. Well, that, I was going to give an example. Okay of how this uh, social engineering would work.
3: So at, at the uh, Music Awards, I'm not sure which one, Justin Bieber, was, well, K- Kim Kardashian was left standing on camera in front of Justin Bieber's dressing room saying, I can't wait to get this little boy. Now, he was only 15 maybe at this time. So they were openly promoting. I kept thinking as I was watching this, what if that was Willow Smith in that room and Kanye West? standing outside the door saying, I can't wait to make it with this little girl. But it was okay because it was a
1: 15-year-old boy. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally inappropriate. Totally inappropriate. Yeah. Uh, so he has been really victimized, and, and I don't know about the other, the, you know, the, that's a that's an allega- serious allegation, and I don't know about that. And, and I, I, you know it's, we Well, we keep going careful.
3: deeper and deeper. We have Corey Feldman coming out completely about the, the pedophilic uh, agenda that he had to deal with while rising up in Hollywood. He's now written choreography. And then we have uh, Chuck Barris, our lovely host of The Gong Show and right. The Dating Game, coming forward and, and, and well, almost admitting... That he was a, a contract killer for the CIA while taking the contestants on their
1: surprise vacation. I remember that. Yes, I remember when. Yeah, he wrote a book about it. Yeah. So um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is the the uh, the flashing of signs, um, and we see this on on TV and on the Grammys, and we see pictures all over the uh, the internet of you know supposed. Uh, you know, the devil horns and so forth. And to me, that's a little tricky because, you know, you got a, a very fast, you know, shutter speed and you can, someone's moving their hands and their fingers. You can make someone, you can capture that one nanosecond of an instant where they look to be flashing the devil horns and they're not necessarily. Uh, but what's behind the, the, the constant, the, the appearance of this constant flashing of these, uh, these devil horns? And maybe there are some other hand signals that you could let us in on.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, you can just capture somebody in a weird hand position, and I think people do read into a lot of this. What you should look for are the definitive hand signs that people are purposely making in magazine covers and different situations that they, they intend this in. So, uh, like the secret hand, the, the Napoleon hand into the shirt, that's a, a Masonic Templar symbolism that, uh, you would use to say that you're in the secret hand um there's uh the what people are calling the six 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 symbolism or the o okay k sign that people have been holding in front of their head now this is an ancient symbol of the goddess going back to the the Vesica Pithia, uh that actually means you're in the womb and so A lot of the hand signs and gestures that people are seeing are not exactly what they think they are because people don't tend to study magic as as a practice. And I have a whole section here just to do that very thing. So when you see people putting the triangle in front of their eye and people say, oh, it's the eye of the Illuminati, when you look into magical practice, this is actually the uh, triangle of manifestation. And is actually used during a ritual to incarnate a demon or an entity into another person, another body, a recipient. Uh, so that's what that eye and the triangle symbol actually is within
1: magical practices. Uh, you mentioned the O.T.O. the Ordo Templi Orientis. Now, th- are, are they similar to the Masons, the Freemasons? The, I mean, they're fr- they're a fraternal organization, but what is the relationship with the Masons?
3: Okay, well, many Masons will be members of the OTO, but they will not admit it inside of a Masonic lodge. If they're inside the OTO lodge, they'll openly admit their free Masonic connection. Um, now, the OTO is an outer body. It, it is uh, reputed to be descended of the Bavarian Illuminati and, and tracing its roots all the way back to the Knights Templar. And the practices within the OTO are actually sex magic rituals. Uh, sometimes coupled with trauma-based mind control. When you look into uh, many of the practices that Crowley did in his early practices in traumatizing the people that he was putting to the ritual, even to the point of branding them with the mark of the beast for a scarlet woman, they would often get branded. And then very sick, perverted rituals uh, that require feces and sex and, and anal rape And these are are the deeper inner mysteries of the OTO. So uh, many Freemasons will be members because they follow, you know, once you get into that path, like you go into Freemasonry, you start to learn that there's an occult faction inside of the world, and you realize that America would not have been created without the use of these occult practices. That's why there's pentagrams in the street plans of Washington, D.C. I mean, La and Washington weren't goofing around when they did this. Uh, it took a, m- a lot of effort, and so all the signs and symbols that you see around you, even the goddess Columbia, our district of Columbia, is the internal goddess of this uh, magical order. And so the traits within the magical order will raise you into the, the. You can go many different levels. There are numerous, numerous factions within these secret societies.
1: Right, and th- that's what we are talking about here: our, our secret societies. These are not, you know, necessarily mainstream. <laughs> uh masons uh we're talking about here we were talking about you know m- most organizations uh, when you get to a certain level uh you know they may have some uh, rituals uh, uh and some you know secret uh, practices and so forth so uh, you know not to to malign uh, I, I would gather that 99% of uh, you know freemasons know nothing about this they're uh, out there right. raising money for burn units and hospitals and doing good work and 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 so forth now um is it your um supposition of, um Freeman that it's not possible to rise to the top let's say for example, in the the music industry as as an example and we're coming up on a break here we 'll talk about this after, but is it not possible uh, to to rise to the top unless you become essentially a part of this o t o or become a satanist we 'll get into that when we uh, continue our conversation with Freeman Fly right here on The Conspiracy Show as we discuss the occult. Don't go away. Freeman Fly is uh, with us as we discuss the uh, occult. Uh, so my question before the break, Freeman, is it possible, and I'll just uh, let you know this is a fairly short uh, break, and, uh, or a fairly short segment, and then we'll uh, we'll come back again after the, uh, the next break, but is it possible to succeed in the music in- industry, to become a major recording artist if you don't um if you don't become essentially a satanist
3: there are layers to this and some it, it, by the time you're at the top you're really within a satanic belief system whether you are an official member or not you're you're pretty much conditioned into it um but when you when you look at it at the historical aspects of it, it's consistent. As you watch who rises to the top, so Sammy Davis Jr. back in the day, he's a satanist. Uh, as you start coming up, you got uh, Led Zeppelin, members of the O.T.O. Uh, Jimmy Page even lived in Crowley's house on the Loch Ness. Uh, you look at David Bowie, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, and consistently on up through Tool, and uh, uh, you you will see the aspects of this in, in music like Katy Perry's ET, where she wants to make a supernatural baby, be abducted by an alien, and create. So this the supernatural ET connection is is also very strong within all of this storyline, and it, it, it plays a heavy role in this. So you can see consistently who rises to the top are uh, followers of this this message. Uh,
1: well, you mentioned uh, um, alien abductions, and I was just uh, trying to to, to, um, uh, to look up here very quickly. Uh, the uh, the author of a book about um, uh, UFOs and, and um, UFOs or, or rock stars that b- believed that they had been abducted by aliens, and and uh, the gentleman just passed away. I had him on my show uh, several months ago. Union uh, well, rock. By Michael Luckman. That's the that's the gentleman. Yes. Um Michael yeah, right here. Michael Luckman just passed away. Uh, wow. sadly. Uh but um, I mean there are a number of uh, prominent um musicians, you know, John Lennon talked about uh having a, a several close encounters once when he was living at the Dakota, another one when he was in Greenwich Village, living with May Pang. Uh there was um uh, Ace Frehley of course of KISS, a Sammy Hagar, uh um I believe Jerry Garcia. Although you know when we're talking about the Grateful Dead, and of course many of the substances that Mr. Garcia was ingesting, it's kind of hard to separate you know fact from fiction uh, or a, 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 a hallucinogenic episode or the real deal. What is the connection, do you think, between these alien abduction stories and and uh, some prominent rock stars?
3: Yeah, we've we've been looking heavily into that because, as you you know, it's it's consistent there as well. And uh, even I have my own alien abduction stories. So uh, it, it's, it's one that once we started to look deeper into the magical practices, we started to get into what's called the hidden god within this situation, we found that the whole situation was a matter of channeling extra-dimensional or extraterrestrial beings utilizing ritual magic. And so many of these people that we mentioned were also practitioners of this ritual magic, and we're finding that there's a, a, a real correlation, that even when you look back to Alistair Crowley, when he was channeling an entity known as Lom, this was in the early 30s that he was a gray, uh, and no one had had a depiction of a gray yet, but Lom of Crowley, who he channeled, uh, was. And this story keeps coming through the, the puzzle over and over again, that the elite are meeting in, in secret barns and channeling what they call the Nine, which are believed to be the Ennead, the Nine Gods of Ancient Egypt, which also relate into this whole OTO situation. Uh, we, we just keep finding this a consistent theme. I. I, I really want the answer to that question, and, and you know, it could go as strange as, you know, this is one of the best ways to manipulate mankind.
1: Well, um, you know, I, um, I sort of share that view of the, the whole UFO ET uh, phenomenon. Uh, that is that we are not talking about... Intergalactic civilizations traveling to this planet. We're in fact talking about interdimensionals, and uh, uh, you know, as someone uh, who you know, a Bible-believing a Christian, I believe in the unseen world. I believe in these other dimensions, uh, and uh, I think that's where th- that's where they're coming from. Uh, they could be angelic or they could be demonic. So, is that what's happening here? That these abductions are about the invocation of these demonic entities? Uh, as a means of controlling certain individuals. That's what the abduction phenomena is all about. Well, this, this gets even stranger into our
3: technological realms because most of the time, like when we look to the Nazis and their ritual magic as they were channeling these entities, which they believed were inner earth beings, yes. uh, they, were, they were developing technology like the Bell Project that seemed to be able to open portals into the other dimension. So now we're moving into this new age, CERN, Will be moving to twice its maximum power in March, and when they launched uh, CERN to world record levels, that was the day Barack Obama showed up at Norway to get his Nobel Peace Prize, and the uh, Norway spiral opened in the sky. Those strange lights. Yes. All these questions.
1: Interesting. Yeah, I remember that.
3: I've done a deep research into that technology. And have been really looking, because when you start to look into the occult, you find that it is at the heart of our technology. The television came to us through the Golden Dawn Society, another magical order that uh, was also Crowley, was a, was a lead member, And but he moved on to the OTO. But the Golden Dawn gave us the Crookes tube, which became the cathode ray tube. And the first television broadcast was actually a, a Maltese cross that they attempted to send to the other side and receive a transmission back.
1: And now, now, and now Freeman, now our TVs, uh, Samsung, uh, this television, it's listening in on our conversation. Remember when that was sort of uh, uh, the sign of someone was, you know, considered a tinfoil hat wearing paranoid when they started talking about their TV was watching them? Well, now it's all coming true. Our TVs are yeah. watching us, and they're recording our voices and sending it to third parties. We have no knowledge of where that information is going.
3: Absolutely. I mean, when you sign into Skype for the first time, the instant message you receive is a quote from 1984 of Winston discussing whether Big Brother is real. So anyone that signs into Skype for the first time or you go to your original message, you'll see that they're sending you this message loud and clear. Uh, We have Google out buying uh, uh, artificial intelligence, quantum computers, and the Boston Dynamics uh, military robots, right? So... Google's working on becoming Skynet while they have a Calico system, their medical division, that is being used to uh, create a massive DNA database. And here we
1: are on a, on a Google Hangout. I guess we've sort of uh, surrendered and uh, at least to some extent become part of the Borg. <laughs> Freeman, listen, stay with us. We're using their technology against them now, though. That's the big thing. We'll be back uh, as we discuss the occult with Freeman Fly right here on The Conspiracy Show. Don't go away. And uh, we are here with Freeman Fly, and I'm just going to check the the, uh, hashtag TCS uh, to see whether people are responding to that. And uh, let's see. Uh, Oh, someone here uh, is JS, at Jen Schmidt 1, using the hashtag TCS uh, Freeman, uh, talking about Phoenix, Arizona. Also Phoenix, Arizona, and date all have symbolism. Uh, I read recently... uh, or heard recently, maybe it was one of the guests on the program, talking about Phoenix. Uh, is it likewise set out as a Masonic symbol? What is the connection between Phoenix and, and Freemasonry? Phoenix, Arizona, yeah, that is.
3: Absolutely. Uh, you know, I can almost open every Freemasonic book I have here and you will see a, uh, a Phoenix within it and the rising of this uh, bird from the ashes. But uh, what I'm really curious and we hadn't noticed this before, Manly P. Hall is one of the main authorities on Freemasonry and he wrote a book called Secret Teachings of All Ages and we were opening that during the Super Bowl ritual and and realized that all aspects were were represented in this Rosicrucian alchemical working to the point that it had the phoenix the lion the goddess and then a a horn being actually like a a stag and all of these uh, symbols were represented in this magical practice of the Rosicrucians, which is yet another magical order in this situation.
1: <laughs> and of course, the Super Bowl taking right place uh, taking place right there in in Phoenix. Uh, is there something about uh, I was trying to remember the degrees, latitude, and longitude uh, where where Phoenix is is situated uh, that is also I think significant? Thirty third of the thirty fourth, the thirty third degree. Uh, ah. Um, I was trying to remember uh, the uh, the book, and you mentioned Michael Luckman, who just passed, and that was Alien Rock, the Rock and Roll Extraterrestrial Connection. And as we were discussing that, you mentioned that you also had an abduction experience. Can you share that with me?
3: Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a strange one, and I've had a few. See, now, um, my life is as is, is unusual. So my father was a worshipful master in Freemasonry and was uh, on killer submarine with Jimmy Carter. He was chasing flying saucers in Project Blue Book, and by the time I was born, he was building nukes. So um, Wow, that's quite a lineage. (laughs) Yeah, and then my mother was raised by a renowned witch in France. She was saved by the Nazis from the Catholics and raised by a witch and brought up through the Eastern Star and was uh, Esther within the Eastern Star. So this was my family that I didn't know any of the story at uh, uh, at all. Um, But at 10, year, ten years old, I drew an image that seems to outline galactic history, and it, it's blown my mind, and, and it has led my research for quite some time. You can see it on my website uh, to, to see further. Just go to the Freeman Perspective uh, television show. So, uh, but so the what what occurred is in 1993. Yeah, I was at Daytona Beach after graduating college, and it was spring break. And me and a friend went down to the beach. We sat down there, and this massive rectangle just seemed to be hanging out over the ocean. And it looked like a big rectangle with four subdivided squares. I've never seen anything like it. It kind of looked like a window into the other dimension. It was red and seemed translucent, although it had a a strict ridge border. And my friend and I sat there staring at it for about 10 minutes with our jaws dropped and our fingers pointed. And I don't remember it leaving, but I remember watching my finger follow as it disappeared. Now, we jumped off that lifeguard stand and went back to the spring breakers where there were thousands of people and everyone was gone. And we're, we're freaking out. You know, we're thinking we're in some Twilight Zone episode. We're the only ones left on the planet. Everyone else is gone. Uh, it turned out that five hours had passed. It was now the middle of the night and everyone had gone home. Uh, but it was 10 p.m.
1: to us. That's just and, textbook uh, stuff, right? That, that, that time gap, textbook.
3: Yeah. So, and then I have another tale of uh, seeing the, a giant V-shaped craft like what they saw in Phoenix, and uh, then meeting the high priest of the Church of Satan right after that event. That was kind of a, a wild day.
1: Now, did you recapture these memories through a regression, or uh, any of that lost time? Did you learn what transpired during that last lost five hours? I have
3: not. I really did want to. And it really has been from that moment on that I've been able to project into the future and was able to predict that W would be forced into office, that there would be a major terrorist attack on 9-11, and that uh, the next president would not be considered an American. And I have this all documented, and was uh, I was correct in every instance on this, and I, I kind of got the feeling that maybe I'd been shown uh, a plan Or, you know, I don't know. I would love to know. I would love to to travel back and try and find out. Uh,
1: There's an interesting uh, section on freemantv.com regarding the clones of Michael Jackson. Now, according to this theory, Michael Jackson was seeking immortality uh, and perhaps was cloned. What can you tell me about that? Now, we've got about seven, eight minutes here, so...
3: Okay, uh, this is a, a main agenda that has been really overshadowed by looters, uh, just people trying to make it ludicrous. So when uh, human cloning became before Congress, they had Ra El in his puffy white spacesuit speaking in behalf of, of human cloning. So of course everybody laughed it off. Uri Geller was a psychic, an Israeli psychic that they used. To, he was a, the key bender. He was used in these rituals that I was discussing when they would channel the nine and Uri Geller got together with Michael Jackson, and they began running around looking for immortality. Now, the first thing they thought was this mind transfer technology. And really, at this moment, uh, CERN has the only computer capable of mind transfer technology. I'm not saying they're using it for that, but it's capable of it. You need to be able to push exabytes of information, which is tons and tons of information, uh, to be able to transfer a mind. Uh, But so they looked into this first, and and the roboticist is on film admitting that he had built this robot for Michael Jackson's soul. But I guess Michael decided he couldn't do his moonwalk in that robot and began looking deeper. So he and uh, Uri Geller went and met with Ra'el. Now, Ra'el is an interesting character. He's a French journalist who met Yahweh in a flying saucer in the French Pyrenees and then claimed to be the ambassador of the Elohim and is commissioned to build a embassy in
1: Israel for the Elohim's return. Oh this is With the the, uh, the a- Raelians. A- the Raelians. A- this is the Raelians, correct? The Raelians, yes. Right. So um, but Michael Jackson, um, the idea here again was that he was going to sort of re the attempt and and others are, are you know, the whole the the human um, uh you know transcend transcendent movement uh mm-hmm. Transhumanists. Transhumanists, thank you, uh, are attempting to, you know, to find a way to, to you know, are seeking immortality, Ray Kurzweil and others. Uh, in fact, there was a movie made about it, Transcendence, with, with Johnny Depp. Was that the idea, that they were going to take Michael Jackson's consciousness and resleeve it in some sort of a robot?
3: Now, did I mention that Madonna has her own DNA cleanup crew? She <laughs> <pays> <laughs> no. She people to go around and clean up her remnant DNA. That's open news. You can go Google it for yourself. Uh, So they know something. I'll tell you that. They know something right off. But look at Michael Jackson's children. His children are transhumanist children. His uh, blanket, nobody even knows who the parents are of blanket, because the mother that gave birth to it wasn't the the egg, and the father is unknown. And his children are blonde-haired and blue-eyed, right? So Michael Jackson's kids are already this uh, genetic experiment of uh, a designer baby.
1: Wait a minute, I, I, I've seen pictures of them, they don't look blonde haired and blue eyed to me.
3: Oh, they absolutely are, especially blanket. Uh, when when Michael Jackson went to buy King Tut's replica of King Tut's golden sarcophagus right. that he said that he was going to live forever, uh, he uh, he has his children with them there and, and they are blonde haired blue eyed, especially if you uh, his daughter, who's now coming out, about all the Illuminati programming that she had to deal with, uh, she she's got piercing blue eyes. So, uh, none yeah, of the his blue eyes okay. are his children. They were all through surrogate mothers, right? And through uh, through genetic manipulation. So, do you think that there are some Michael Jackson clones out there already? Well, there is a dentist attempting to clone John Lennon. He has his tooth, he bought it in an auction, and he plans on cloning John Lennon. Yes. Uh, Michael Jackson would have been cloned. If he could have done it, he would have. I have some theories that perhaps even time travel might be playing an instance in this situation. Uh, there was an unusual bust of Michael Jackson found from the period of Akhenaten, uh, the, that is, the 18th dynasty of ancient Egypt, Um it's identical to Michael Jackson. It is, it is, so I've wondered, because I've interviewed uh, the head of the Time Travel Institute, and he told me this was was a legitimate problem. And when Michael Jackson went out, when he, was, uh, when he died, he was in debt to this Saudi Arabian prince. And uh, this is the one place that the time travel experts say that they cannot control. Uh, i don't know you know that does sound very bizarre
1: is it not possible that that uh, michael jackson saw this bust uh and decided that he wanted to look like this bust
3: no one noticed this bust until a month after michael jackson died it Ah. had supposedly been in the chicago museum all this time but no one had ever noticed
1: fascinating so what is the are you
3: aware of my theories on barack obama and do we have time to get into
1: that? Uh, okay. We don't, unfortunately. Um, we'll have to have you back on another program to talk about that. Um, we've just got about two and a half minutes here. What are you working on uh, on next? Is there another documentary in the works? I mean, you've produced hundreds of hours of documentaries.
3: I have, I have produced a lot. I have seven DVDs, two books, and a flash drive that uh, uh, are just jam-packed with information, each one hours and hours. I have a website filled with 10 years of of backlog, but yeah, I'm working on the Free Your Mind conference, getting ready for Free Your Mind 3, uh, getting deeper and deeper into the occult and trying to express to people what the the true purpose and methods of magic are.
1: That's coming up Uh, in Philadelphia, correct?
3: Yes, April 10th, 11th, and 12th in Philadelphia.
1: So they, we're, see we're we're like-minded, Freeman. You've got uh, free your mind, and I've got follow the truth. Uh, both coming yeah, yeah. up in April. And so, uh, so I mean, in the uh, in the one minute here that we've got, uh, just leave us with some positive news. I mean, how do we fight? How do we fight? Uh, you know, this this programmed reality, this prison planet that we're living in.
3: We are battling in a consciousness prison, and so it's subatomic. And realize that minimal effort will make maximum output. And so we are at a point where if we just start to change our minds about the situation that we're in, that we can literally change the planet. And this is what the occultists know and what these uh, dark sorcerers are using against us. That's why they use so much effort to program our minds to fill their dreams and to fulfill their new world order, because we have the power to manifest. I have traveled this earth and wandered like uh, Kung Fu and have met nothing but generous, loving, good, caring people all over the place. I have wandered for a decade before I came out on the air, and uh, I'll tell you that the base core of humanity is, is loving, caring, generous beings that want nothing more than to be a part of this transition and to be a part of life. And if you open yourself to this situation by friendship and, and finding beauty, You'll find that the universe actually opens up and works in your favor, and there is a higher power guiding your life if you can find your true soul's purpose.
1: Do you believe that that this is a consciousness-driven reality? In other words, it sounds like that's what you're saying—that we that that consciousness creates matter. That that we can, we can essentially visualize this this sort of alternative reality that you, that you're proposing here to get to break out of this prison planet. Is that how it works through consciousness? Yeah.
3: Ancient maxim, uh, the ancient magical axiom on that is the universe is mental, and that is at the heart of everything that we are seeing and, that, and all the actions that we're witnessing. And yeah, absolutely, uh, the universe is mental.
1: Freeman, I appreciate your time tonight. Freeman Fly, it's, uh, the website is freemantv.com. Good meeting you. Thanks for hanging out. Yeah.
3: Thank you so much. It was a good time.
1: All right, my thanks to Albert Vinzel and uh, Tim Spreen for production. Back next week with Dr. John Hall and uh, others, we'll talk about his brand new book, Guinea Pigs, Technologies of Control. You want to be here for that. And, of course, check out followthetruth.tv. Get your tickets for the, uh, the big conference coming up. Back next week, brand new show. Hope you'll be along for that. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There's nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops. Move over, Aphrodite. I'm coming home. Good night.